0: This is Rudy Freese, and he's a new friend in my world. I've I've been working with him um, uh, through some groups that we're a part of. I have a lot of respect for him. He talks about things that a lot of Methodists don't talk about, um, specifically deliverance ministry, and that's where he's really an expert, and I've really appreciated his uh, witness online. Uh, But I kind of want to know more about him personally uh, so that we can all kind of track with him as he's leading us through these topics, and then I want to dip back into some of these topics that we talked about, and then we're going to end with talking about deliverance ministry, uh, the reality of supernatural influence in our lives, especially the demonic and the role that we can play in uh, purifying uh, a very impure world. So, um, Rudy, I'd like to just start off with who you are, where you came from, how did you get to uh,
1: ministry, where you are right now? Okay, well, first, thanks for uh, having me. <clears throat> I cradle Methodist, United Methodist. Uh, a lot of people today say I've been a United Methodist my whole life. Well, if you're older than uh, 53, then uh, you haven't been. You've been some other form of Methodist. Oh, sure. Yeah. And uh, so I can actually say I'm a cradle Methodist, United Methodist, uh, small town in Missouri. Um, my first uh, hint or inkling of call to ministry was uh, I was working on my God and country award for Cub Scouts. And you have to stand in front of the church and, and, uh, say a little sermonette. And, uh, after I answered my call to ministry later in life, my mom still had that. And so I've got it as kind of a memory to draw me back to way back when, when I didn't even know God was calling me. Mm. Um, so I spent time, I grew up Methodist, had my uh, perfect attendance mom drug us to church every time she could. And my dad was Lutheran God bless him. Uh, he, uh, Missouri centered, very, very strict, uh, Lutheran. and uh, But through that upbringing, I just was always involved in church. Uh,
0: Did you worship Missouri Synod growing up, or were you always ever
1: Methodist? No, I was always always Methodist. Your mother won. Mm-hmm. My okay. mom won. The kids okay. went with mom. Uh-huh. When my older brother got old enough to drive, he, he went with my dad. Uh, but uh, we were always... Uh, but your um,
0: dad was in worship every week? Yep,
1: every week. Sang in the choir, deep bass voice. Just, I can still rumble with it when I hear him sing.
0: As a child in your home... Did you regularly see your parents engage in any forms of discipleship
1: or piety? Um, No. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I did not. Um, Doors were open, we were there. Uh, UMW stuff, we were there. Um, All of that stuff. Vacation Bible school, in the home? No. And and I think that's probably a common theme for United Methodists. I think we have, uh, the churches I've served over the years, we've seen a lack of spiritual depth. Uh, you know, we we feel good. And we come together, and we are there for each other, and we go out in action and mission, and, and we engage the world. But there's always this lacking spiritual depth, and it's affected me in ministry. You know, I I I wish I knew the Bible inside and out. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a, a Baptist, uh, the First Baptist pastor here. I, I watched that interview, and I was oh, like, "That's fun, yeah." I was like. Man, that guy knows his stuff, uh-huh. yeah. uh, and so I think that's that's always been a challenge uh, of not having that deep spiritual, you know, biblical training and upbringing, that discipline of that. And it's not Wesleyan, you know. Wesley was very into development. He, and, he
0: quoted so much Bible that he didn't even bother to <laughs> cite it. It was just quote, a, quote, quote, it, quote, quote right. through his sermons. And you but, should know it. Yeah, but it, the, the culture within the UMC has grown so hostile. I don't know if you saw it. I I, uh, I was going back and forth with a, um, a, a pastor about his doctrine of God and a, a Methodist that has a voice in our annual conference took issue with me using the Bible so much. Yeah. She was offended by that. And I've noticed that whenever i as a pastor have of course this church is perfect but in other churches that i've been at whenever i've shown scriptural literacy to a certain degree there's a hostility Mm -hmm. that is met by because it's how dare you erect that standard that i don't want to meet right so anyway the, the interesting thing there also is uh within lutheranism it was martin luther who tried to reclaim the home as the centerpiece of the church. Every every home is supposed to be a little church. Right. And so between Lutheranism and Methodism, there, the home should be um, a daily worshiping body, and yet it's really become quite, well, if, if, if people nowadays learn that a household is worshiping together, that seems kind of like cultish behavior. That's correct. And uh, once upon a time, that, that was just the norm in America, uh, whether or not the state instantiated that at public schools or in public organizations. It was just known that in in daily life in people's homes, they were praying together, they were singing together, they were reading the Bible together. Now it's a weird thing.
1: It is in our culture, for sure.
0: So you grew up cradle Methodist, grew up going to worship in a United Methodist church all your life. Cub Scouts up there graduate high school then did you fall away like me?
1: No actually moved to, we moved to Oklahoma I'm from Missouri. Oh okay, okay. and I uh, moved to Oklahoma. I was in seventh grade give or take uh, moved to Sepulpa went to uh, went to the Methodist Church there and it just really wasn't a fit. Youth group wasn't a fit for me um, didn't didn't click didn't fit in um, Missouri was a very small town uh, farming community and Sepulpa being a suburb of Tulsa it was a little bigger and so it just didn't didn't fit. So I, I kind of we fell out of Methodism in that moment. A friend invited me to youth group at a uh, Baptist church, Southern Baptist. Uh, mm, I know, I know, I know. God help me. Uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, a lot of my church members sometimes say there's a little Baptist in me when I preach, yeah. um, and, and they like it. They actually like it. Uh, so anyhow, I uh, went to youth group with him for a couple years in that midst, uh, went off to uh, False Creek and heard my call at Falls Creek. So, oh, at a Baptist At a Baptist church, church, church camp. camp, yeah. Yep. So even okay. even Baptists experienced Jesus. It's, uh-huh. it, yeah. was, it was good. I yeah. um, actually went to church camp chasing a girl. Yes, okay, yeah. I mean, why, okay, else, go, why yeah. else go to church camp? Yeah. And, uh, you know, a fourth night, music's playing, preachers talking, and I'm just oblivious to the world. And he's, he literally said, there are people out here that need prayer tonight, and uh, some of you, God's called to ministry, and as soon as he said that, it's like the music went on mute. Everything else around me became blurry, mm-hmm. and I sat there for a minute, wondering what was going on. Was I having a medical episode, or I, I didn't really fully understand uh, the, course, movement of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, I audibly heard the voice of God, and not many people do, uh, or claim they do, uh, but... It was literally, Rudy. You'll serve me in ministry.
0: Now, prior to this, had you had any kind of profound experience of justification? No. Nope. Okay. So nope. you were called to ministry before even a profound experience of justification, which is quite an. Ex- yep. Not even having a framework, probably. for Yep.
1: Understanding. No, no framework to understand that. Went down uh, to the altar, accepted Jesus. Then, and uh, whenever I got back, uh, the pastor stood me in front of the church, and everybody's like. Yay! And then the next Sunday, everybody went back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, My family, friends, they acted weird about it. And so I was scared. I didn't talk about it. I didn't engage in it. Uh, no one tried to foster that in me. Mm. And so uh, it scared me. And so I ran from my calling. Mm. Um, spent time in and out of church. Um, went off to college. Um, fell away from church. Uh, got married, had our first kid, and thought, well, probably ought to get a kid in church. We need to raise a kid in church. So we got engaged in a, uh, a Creek Indian Baptist church. Uh, someone I worked with uh, went there, and so we got engaged into that community. But you're not Creek Indian. I'm not. Okay. Um, nope, no Indian here. They just let let you in there. And <laughs> they did. Brought you in. They okay, did. wonderful. I was uh, a stahecte, which is uh, honky. Okay, <laughs> so very good. Yes. yeah, yeah. So so I I had my uh, Chabon. I was a boy. They called me Chabon a lot. Um, so anyhow, in the midst of that, that's a uh, cool experience. Uh, yeah. How long were you in that church? Uh, about two years. Okay. Yeah. So uh, enough to enough to gain an appreciation for for the hurt for the Native Americans and and uh, what all they've had to deal with and and the pain that they've gone through. Uh, took Creek Creek language. I can't tell you much of it anymore, but. Um, but we invested in it. It was in the midst of that time. Uh, I became music leader there. I'm musically inclined. And so I led led the music and which in Baptist circles makes you part of the deacon, oh, sure. deacon okay. group. Okay. Um, pastor had a bad experience uh, with a church member um, and in the middle of a visiting church sing night, one of the deacons stood up and confronted the pastor. And so I just kind of politely behind the deacon said, Hey, brother Philip, uh, let's talk about this later. Mm-hmm. This is not the place. And he turned around and pointed a bony finger at me. And he said, uh, Chabon boy, uh, shut up or leave. Mm. And so in the midst of those two years, I was starting to hear my call again, you know, being engaged in ministry, loving it. And that just rocked my spiritual world. Yeah, And so I literally in the midst of that, walked to the front of the church, unplugged every piece of equipment that I'd brought while they're trying to conduct this argument, church sing night, wife and baby in hand, walked out the door and slammed the door on, on God and the church. Mm. I was angry at God for a long time, about six years, mm. just said, want well, nothing to do with it, won't be engaged in it. And so I went into law enforcement and uh, I'm, I actually took an early retirement to enter the ministry. Uh, spent 15 years with Tulsa County uh, retired as a captain uh, loved law enforcement I'd still be doing it if the call wasn't so strong in my life mm. um, but angry at God angry at the church how could how could I ent- answering this call how could I be treated this way by church people how would God allow that to happen you know just poor theology poor poor understanding of of how everything works and how God works in the midst of that so, when well,
0: let's, let's camp on that for just okay. a second
1: because I, I wonder how many people are going to watch
0: this that, that know me in another capacity. There are a lot of people in this town in particular who've got a bad taste in their mouth mm-hmm. from an experience that they had in the local church. What, having gone through that yourself, yeah. what, what did you need to hear that would have – I mean maybe nothing would have ever turned your mind. But what's the truth about that situation that you did not know yeah. that you know
1: now? Yeah, absolutely. That situation actually has helped me minister to a lot of people who have been hurt by the church because the church is is a uh, place where people get hurt. And you got to the church is full of broken people. We're not perfect. Uh, people people aren't in church because they're healed and and spiritually put together. They're in church because they're broken and they need Jesus to to fix and to to heal. And so in the midst of that, probably the the greatest thing that I've picked up and it's helped me in ministry as well. Um, yeah. Since people are broken, when they act in those ways, um, that's just their humanity coming out. That's not Jesus. That's not the Holy Spirit interacting through them. They just—they're just broken. And so, we, broke people break other people. They—they—they uh, they, they hurt, so they cause other people to hurt, and so. My biggest thing I tell when I was in law enforcement and helping people get back into church when I started preaching uh, is you know two things about church. One is it's full of sinners just like you, so don't have expectations for them that you don't have for yourself. And then two, the pastor is just a person who said yes to Jesus and is trying to figure that call out. And so they're they're human. Don't ever put a pastor on a pedestal. If you put a pastor on a pedestal, they're going to hurt you Mm. just because they're going to say something that doesn't fit feel right to you or, or isn't a comfort to you or they don't handle a situation the way you think it should be handled. They're just people. We're just people. And we will hurt people in the midst of ministry because we're just trying to figure it out. And so that's what so I tell.
0: If I, if I had to sum that up, it, it would be uh, it should not uh, scandalize you or hurt you as much as it does to see the imperfection of people within the church because they're sinners just like everybody else. And, and that is not evidence that they are hypocrites or that the Holy Spirit isn't doing the work. It's just that this the evil has power and, and we need to know it for what it is, not tolerate it within the church, but also not be scandalized whenever it raises its head.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and you know, that's so important to understand is that um, we are all a work in progress, mm-hmm. you know, moving on to sanctification. We're trying to get there. We're on this journey. Mm-hmm. And you're in a position that I'm not. You're further along than I am, and someone else is not as far along as I am. Mm-hmm. So we're all on this this spectrum of trying to become who Christ has called us to be. And someone more mature in their faith will handle things more more diplomatically or, or with more grace and more love. Supposedly. Uh, supposedly. But again, that's a, that's a marker of their spirituality.
0: Well, but also... We, we come at ministry with the experiences that we've had. Mm-hmm. And as an LEO, you've had experiences of people that most clergy haven't. Most clergy have been in it for some time, and they've only ever seen people putting on their Sunday best and showing up at their, with their Sunday manners. You've seen people at their worst. Yeah. You've been called into people's homes who've been behaving very badly, who are not right in their mind and their spirit. You've seen people for how they really are, not for how they pretend yeah. to be. And so, uh, you know, I, I often think it would be better if, if pastors had to spend more time dealing with the wickedness of people mm-hmm. because it is easy for some pastors to imagine, oh, people are basically good and I'm just giving them a little encouragement. That's a very different picture of pastoral ministry than people are basically wicked and mm-hmm. depraved and in desperate need of salvation. Yeah. And when you've seen it from the inside and then also when you've had that personal walk of your own where you've been alienated from God, for years of your life where you could have died at any time, things could have gone much worse for you had God not brought you back into the fold. To see all those things will definitely impact how you do ministry. And you're you're going to feel more of a sense of urgency, mm-hmm. more of a sense of purpose, more of a sense of um, drama even mm-hmm. than someone who's only ever been walking in the light of Christ and they've, they've only ever dealt with people given their Sunday morning presentation. It's just a very different portrait. So I... I I've been corrected in ministry for the level of urgency that I bring to it. And I haven't received that. Well, I've often said, well, what's wrong with you that it doesn't feel urgent to you. Right. Because these, this is something where people's lives are on. the, Their very spirits are on the line. Their souls, their eternal destiny is on the line. And you're telling me I need to be patient about it. You're telling me I need to be gracious and make room for all this bad behavior. Um, I'm not sure that's Wesleyan. So
1: I had a decom tell me one time that, uh, District Committee
0: on Ministry, this is the sorry. committee that decides whether or not we're, we're called to ministry. Go ahead, sorry.
1: Very good. That's I uh, had a District Committee on Ministry uh, member tell me one time that uh, because I was second career, mm-hmm. that uh, they were concerned that I was too zealous because I felt like I had to make up for time that I'd missed.
0: Oh, I can't have these zealous preachers. I mean— <laughs>
1: Good Lord, oh, we're trying to we're trying to help people meet Jesus, uh-huh, yeah. so that there's not this eternity of gnashing of teeth and regret, yeah. regret, pain, yeah. pain and suffering. We want them to meet Jesus, so their lives are transformed, because that's who Jesus is. But you're
0: too zealous about it. I'm man. too zealous yeah.
1: about it. Yeah, and I just when I, they said that, I, and it was in the open meeting, I just shook it off like, how can you say that? Right.
0: Yeah. Well, let's connect the dots between you okay. were you stepped out of the the church for six years. You said, Yeah and then you were in law enforcement and mm-hmm. then you were you were doing law enforcement and ministry at the same time for a, a bit.
1: Yeah, so um the events that that led up to uh to uh, me really hearing God again and accepting the the love that he had was um I was running in law enforcement full time. Most law enforcement uh, officers do multiple jobs. Never saw my family. I was working hard, working multiple shifts and uh did a night qualify at the range one night and uh, uh, they told you to go home, clean your weapon. Went home, forgot to unload my weapon because I was so tired. Yeah. And uh, shot myself. Where? Right in the leg, trying to take the gun apart to clean it. Yikes. 45 caliber hollow point. Uh, the most, uh, the best thing that ever happened to mm. me. Because in my anger against God, it was all about me. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I don't need other people to help my family. I've got this, and I can do it. And it slowed me down. Um, I joke, God shot me, but in reality we know that's feels better to say someone else did it than sure. the, than I did it myself. Well, <laughs> anyhow, uh, from that experience, uh, it totally changed my life. Uh, that was October 17, 2000. And uh, my wife's grandfather had the nerve to pass away in December. Mm. And uh, we joke about that. Yeah. Uh, and so for the first time in almost six years, I uh, had to go buy clothes to go to the funeral. Had to cut a pant leg off because of the cast on the yeah. all the way down. And Did uh, it do bone damage? Uh, it did. Broke, okay. broke both. Uh, uh, tibia Tibia fibula. and fibula both, yep. And uh, I stood up. I thought I'd graze myself. And so it compounded, and I fell face forward. Um, I had two, two thoughts in, in law enforcement. I want to know what it feel like to get shot. I mean, you're a cop. You, you, just gotta, yeah. what it, so you never I, thought you would shoot yourself. I, I never thought it, I'd yeah. have to do it that way. Uh-huh. The second I always it would be feel like to get hit by a car. I don't care about the car thing now. No. It's not worth no. knowing. Uh-huh. Um, anyhow, we, we joke about that, but went to my wife's, uh, grandfather's funeral and, uh, stepped in the church door on crutches, humbled for the first time in my life. And, uh, God was just there with His arms outstretched, and He's like, "Where you been?" Mm. I just heard the Holy Spirit speak that to me: "Where you been? Welcome home!" And uh, totally, totally transformed who I was and where I was headed and what I was doing. Um, loved law enforcement; would still be doing it, but um, the call was, was too much to not answer. So, the next couple of years, I spent time uh, developing a. Fellowship of a Christian police officers in Tulsa County, first chapter to ever be be in Tulsa County, lay servant training, uh, teaching so were Sunday school. you plugged into a
0: United Methodist Church at that point.
1: That's where we started. Okay. And so over the next two years, I just, I just trying to answer the call, trying to do everything I could to to feed that, and um, it was just never enough. The um, What church were you with in Tulsa? Bixby First.
0: Oh, okay, Bixby. Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, worked my way into chair of trustees there, um, helped sell the properties when they got ready to build their new facility that's there on the highway. And uh, just wanting more and more to serve God, it just never was enough because it wasn't ministry. Uh, it was ministry, there, but it were wasn't. Were there people
0: in the, in the church there that were especially helpful or encouraging to you as you developed as?
1: Yeah, yes. And, and that leads into my, when we get to talk about deliverance ministry a little bit, it uh, leads into that. We had an associate pastor, uh, Steve Morgan, uh, he's now uh, in Kansas, somewhere in Kansas, uh, preaching, very instrumental in that. And then uh, Jessica Moffitt was my senior pastor. And uh, just her leadership and uh, sitting, sitting under her preaching and teaching uh, was very, very instrumental. The Emmaus community played a big part. Um, as soon as we got involved in church, it wasn't too long that uh, uh, Lynn and Charlie White, just wonderful, wonderful people, Uh, came and said, hey, we'd like to send you on a retreat. And me being a cop, nope, not going anywhere. I don't know anybody, nothing, you know, just, but uh, Emmaus was the catalyst that really uh, changed uh, where I heard God just as clear as a bell on what I needed to do and how I needed to get there and what that looked like. That's My Emmaus weekend was, uh, I was convicted of tithing, failure to tithe. And how important tithing is as a spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, I came home. My wife hadn't been on, uh, wife hadn't been on her retreat yet, so I was like, uh, "When you get back, we got some things to talk about. <laughs> things are going to change." Um, so anyhow, that that transition, and then the transition from law enforcement to ministry—they're both helping ministries. Yeah. If you're doing law enforcement right, you're helping people. Yes, you, sh- you show up to chaos, you calm. Yeah, uh, and, and so everybody's like, "Oh, how'd you make that?" But it's it's really I did more ministry in law enforcement while I was making the move to full-time ministry. I led more people to Jesus in the patrol car, <laughs> headed to the county jail, mm. uh, than I did than I do in full-time ministry. Just yeah. because it was ripe, Yeah. The harvest was ripe. Oh yeah, and so, so the transition was was fairly easy. Uh, finally, I just uh, I'd get to preach once every other year, or maybe twice a year if I was lucky. And uh, I just kept talking to to Jessica about it. And she goes, you know, let's call the DS and see what's going on, district superintendent. And so we met with the uh, district superintendent, Mike Chafin, at that time. And he said, you know, there's something on work and I'll get back to you. And literally, the Leonard United Methodist Church was just uh, two miles from my front door. And uh, they were debating whether to close or to give one more part-time pastor a little opportunity to come preach there. So we, we accepted that as a part-time local pastor. I did that, went to seminary, started seminary. Where'd you go? Uh, Asbury. Okay. And I did, the, uh, I did their distant learning program. Yep. It was fairly new off the ground back then, right. so that would have been 2006. Okay. Uh, and uh, it was a blessing because the sheriff's office, like I said, I was a captain, so I was working 60, 70 hours at the sheriff's office, two kids, family, preaching at the church, uh, and, uh, and you seminary. had two, two kids, at yeah that point? two daughters. Yeah. Okay. So,
0: so they get to watch their father be humbled by the Lord, come, come into a, a saving relationship with the Lord. And then you've, you briefly briefly spoken of your wife, but she was able to be supportive and walk this journey with you along the way as well.
1: Absolutely. God couldn't have patched Piper, Piper's my wife's name. God couldn't have patched us together any better. And it was just blind luck, hog find an acorn type deal. Um, we met in college. You being the hog. I being yes. the hog, yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> God revealed that acorn to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but we met in college, and um, our spiritual gifts uh, just so line up that it's created the opportunity for the deliverance ministry and, and how the Holy Spirit moves and works uh, between the two of us. So, um, And, yes, very supportive. She knew my. She saw my call long before I stepped into it. Uh, You know, I heard it at 16, but when you run, you run, and and you try everything you can not to. Um, And I've heard it said, if you can do anything else, do it, because ministry is brutal. Um, People are broken, and they take their brokenness out on you, and uh, the church takes its brokenness out on the the clergy person. And so if you can do something else, then do it. Mm -hmm. If you can't, then God's called you. And I think... I think we run into so much trouble with clergy today. They're not called. There's so many clergy that are not called to ministry. Yeah. They they've seen it. And the United Methodist Church makes it easy. It's a career choice. What other what other profession do you know that you're guaranteed federal government? Right. You're guaranteed a job. Yeah. If you follow these steps, yeah. there's no way to get rid of you unless you do something illegal, yeah, unethical, really or crazy. immoral. Yeah. And so if I can just go through these steps, yeah. I'm guaranteed a paycheck. Yeah. And so, so many pastors look at it as a career choice, Yeah, and and they don't have the passion for Jesus. They don't have the desire well, to and what, lead others.
0: What taps into all this, as we go transition here in a bit to, to some of the denominational issues at play, There, the thing that complicates it is there are a lot of people in ministry who do feel called, but aren't. And they they don't have the graces for it, and they don't have the doctrine for it. They 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 should not be there, but because they've had an experience that that feels that that gives them license hmm. to uh, serve in some capacity where they they really do a lot of harm. And and uh, in my first pastoral ministry setting, there was a, a an ordained elder in my conference who was she she and her husband started coming to me for. Um, counseling. And she was a deeply flawed person who who was doing tremendous harm in her context. But she had that call. She felt that call. And so I remember in seminary, we studied the Quaker tradition and several other traditions where you, as the person, don't get to decide if you're called. The church actually gets to decide if you're called and if you have the gifts and graces and if you have what it takes to, to serve as that proxy for Christ in the community of faith. And I thought that was so crazy when I read about it. Um, but increasingly, as I've watched um, this denomination that's full of people with nothing but good intentions, we don't have bad actors. Absolutely. We just have people with, with good intentions who are just wrong, mm-hmm. that, and they're just confused. And heck, I might be one of them. I'm not, I'm not beyond being um, um, fooled. But it, it's, it's it's a very complicated thing to discern who is actually called to ministry and who's not. And um, I remember reading a a Wesleyan scholar a while back. um, I think it was the the British gentleman who just died, Scottish, um, what was his name that died? uh, Excellent Orthodox Christian. But he said, this notion of call is really hurting us more than it's helping. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just need to to pray more for discernment Mm -hmm. and that we can see who has these gifts. But I... I grew up as a preacher's kid in the United Methodist Church, and I saw people dump their their nastiness on my parents, and that seeped into my household mm. uh, because how, my parents aren't sociopaths. So, of course, that poison would seep into them and then play out into the family, and I don't blame them for that at all. But I, I did grow intolerant of churches behaving uh, in a worldly way. Yeah. Um, and so… Uh, as I entered ministry, I became clear that if I'm going to have children, if I'm going to have a wife, we're not going to have people behaving abusively towards us. Yes. Um, that's just not going to be on the table. And I was before a decom one day where one of the interviewers said, you're telling us that we can't send you to half the churches we have because you're going to correct the people harshly who behave. And I said, that's absent. You can sure. send me there, but I'll probably kill them. Yeah. You know, yep. not literally kill these people, right, right. but kill the church. If, if they can't behave like Christians, yep. they shouldn't have the door be open. But that makes me a rare clergy within the United yeah. Methodist Church. Most clergy understand part of the role of the pastor to be, you are going to be abused in this capacity. And I, I, I'm i not going to say that that's wrong. I'm just going to say—
1: um, Oh, it is wrong. You think? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And and um, my law enforcement background has allowed us to be uh, unique in in—, in I say us Piper and I yeah. uh, in our clergy setting um, the churches that we get appointed to are in decline they're uh, contentious they've had conflict and struggle and so that's not by accident that I think God uses the cabinet to put us in those places and uh, and I'm firm uh, I you know in law enforcement the thing I couldn't stand was to walk into a situation and see someone bullying someone else right or abusing someone else sure and so i don't stand for it in the church either yeah that's that's unbiblical it's unchristlike. like right it, it's the worst thing we can do for a church and what i think happens in church settings is we allow we allow it to happen because we're good christians and we don't confront people right and yeah. that's totally opposite of what a christian should be doing well we're, yeah we're,
0: i mean we're reading stories about jesus every week who confronted people all, all the, the time, time. Yep. and then we're imagining, oh, that's okay for Jesus, but for us, we're supposed to be.
1: So, so we do that too. We we put um, we put, and every church tests this when we when we come through the door. Um, and I just call the actors into the office, say, hey, you got time for a conversation? Hey, this just happened this week. I don't know that that's the way we should handle this, and give them notice right off the bat that if you act stupid, you're going to have a conversation about acting stupid. Mm -hmm. And you'd be shocked at how quick people stop acting stupid because they don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation.
0: So for your experience, they've generally stuck around after that conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In mine, they they haven't.
1: I've had, well, I've had both. Um, I've had both. It depends how entrenched they are. So most bullies operate uh, from a position of uh, hiding. I heard it defined one time in a ministry, read a ministry paper uh, about snipers. They set up 100 yards away, and they, sh- they throw, they snipe, they, they put out uh, rumors and, and false statements and things, and they sit back and watch it because they enjoy the chaos. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you've got someone that, that enjoys being thought well of in the church, Uh, they will conform because they don't want to lose the prestige or the Mm -hmm. position. Mm -hmm. And what happens in church, we allow those people to congregate in the church because in the world, in business, whatever it is, people will slap them and say, you can't treat people like that. Stop Mm -hmm. it. That's not how we do business. Uh, In the church, we allow them to thrive because no one wants to confront them. And clergy are too weak.
0: I feel like that's actually... uh, I don't want to get lost in the weeds, but I feel like that's something that's changing about America. The, the American cultural context right now, though, is, is I, it seems to me that a number of people in the workplace and in other social settings are feeling more and more entitled to, to act out their individual desires and felt needs upon other people and see other people as a means to fulfilling their, their desires, and that one of the gifts that the church can offer, should offer, is this is not about you. This place is not about you. One of my favorite quotes... It's from Francis Chan. After worship, a person comes to him and says, "I really didn't enjoy worship very much today, Pastor." And he said, "That's just fine because we're not worshiping you." That's right, you know. But there, there's this loss of ego, and this this invitation to humility that we're supposed to offer, and yet church so often becomes just another venue for people to live out their their selfishness, yeah. their consumeristic desires, and it, it's quite a pastor nowadays. It seems like too tall an order for most pastors to actually say, no, this isn't about you. And I would imagine being a law enforcement officer is actually helpful in, in that sense too, having had to stand in people's way and say, this is not going to happen. Um, and especially as we we get into the deliverance ministry part, as you understand there to be forces of evil that are actually having their way, it becomes a matter of conscience where you have to stand. So you were, you were away from the church for six years. You came back in, through the United Methodist Church and the programs and structures we had in store, they brought you eventually to a pastoral leadership position at Leonard. At that point, did you have your seminary degree?
1: No, I was working on it. Okay. Uh, in fact, I started uh, Leonard uh, the same time I started uh, went to local pastor school in in the city, okay. and then uh, started seminary uh, six months later. And so I started my seminary journey being a being a pastor. Great serving. And so you did. How many years at Leonard? Uh, three and a half years at Leonard, and um, three and a half years at Leonard, and then, uh, and of course, in that three years, I kept, we, we grew, they, they were six people when we got there, we left at 25. Nice. Yeah, and, and gave them purpose. They always felt like they are, well, every church thinks they're who they are, and they have an identity. Sure. And theirs was to train pastors and send them into full-time ministry. And I asked them, uh, Piper and I just challenged them, we said, what if God wants more from you Uh than to just train pastors? What does that mean? And so we just engaged them in in getting involved in the community. Uh, They started a uh, Backpack for Kids program with a local school, and it just totally transformed who the church was. Next thing, they had a different purpose, and they still do that. That school closed because the community was so small Uh uh, that they go over to uh, one of the mound schools and still carry on that program. Um, the church was dilapidated. We said, uh, I was trying to, I had a vision that God was going to, uh, provide a foundation company to secure the foundation of the church. It was a little two-story church. And, uh, they're all like, well, we, we can't do that. That's, that's too, that'll be too much money. That'll, yeah. so we just planted the vision that, you know, maybe God wants more for you guys. So two years after we left, they tore down the building, built a brand new facility. Um, Ken Smith's a pastor there, a great guy. Uh, they're up to forty something on Sunday. Uh, excellent. But they built a brand new brand new church on the spot of where the other wow. one was. And just because that's a
0: pretty rare thing actually. Mm. Yes. I, I've never heard of a church that went down to six and then grew to forty having built a new mm. I'm sure it's happened, but that's quite exceptionally rare. Yeah. Especially within the United Methodist denomination. Yeah.
1: So yeah, we we got to come back for the consecration of that building. Yeah. they had a ceremony, and it was just nice to see. It was nice to see God's people look beyond where they were, where they mm-hmm. thought they were, and embrace yeah. that God's going to do something new and something big. And so, so yeah, that was fun. It was yeah. three and a half years there.
0: And through you're you're appearing before the decom every year. Mm-hmm. You, you're a local licensed pastor. You're getting your seminary degree. Once you got your seminary degree, was it difficult to go
1: through the ordination process? Or um, So, um, ordination process uh, was... So we left Leonard and went to a uh, two-point charge, uh, Quentin and Canadian. And uh, that's that's where um, I really felt the pressure of the what an established church who doesn't want to change, who feels they're, they're who they are. I kind of ran into those... Uh, the, the struggles of that. And, and the cop transition to ministry was, uh, there was some challenge in that. Um, you know, cops are type A personalities. I'm still a type A personality. Yeah. Um, probably the best compliment I've gotten in the last couple of years is uh, uh, one of my current staff members. They said, I've never worked with someone that was a type A personality led by the Holy Spirit. And it just has transformed how they've thought about ministry. And mm. uh, they've served a lot of churches, worked with a lot of pastors and uh they said that that's just that's the thing and I take it as a huge compliment that's the thing that that makes it different yeah uh, and and those first churches were bumpy because I didn't have that uh, attunement to the holy spirit as much as I should have and uh you know don't put a pastor on a pedestal they'll hurt you and so we grow and we learn and we 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 live into who god's called us to be and so um that was a that was a little rough spot right there i was still still doing um Seminary, part of that, finished seminary, moved to Cookson uh, United Methodist Church, and uh, finished seminary, and then went started the uh, uh, ordination process. Uh, got into the system, uh, three years of provisional membership. Um, those all went well, except a former church member sat on one of the, uh, on my committee. Uh, former church member who was a power person in one of the churches that I'd served, and uh, made it a little challenging. Okay. Um, but got through got through ordination,
0: and you didn't feel like you had to censor yourself uh, in the the candidacy process or anything. You felt like you were able to candidly convey who you were and what you believed, mm, and yeah. and you weren't hurt yeah. by that. In the no,
1: absolutely. Um, um, I did receive comments, and you know, as a conservative uh, and identify as a, a Orthodox Evangelical uh, United Methodist elder. Uh, in the midst of that, there were. Um, you know, some questions thrown. Um, in fact, that former church member actually threw out and said uh, in an interview in front of everybody, how do you think you would do at a liberal church? Mm-hmm. And I had never thought about that because I hate labels. Okay. And so I struggle with liberal conservative. And you know, my response to that was, I'm not sure how sharing the love of Jesus plays into liberal conservative context. Um, and so that was my answer to that. And uh, there was a little pushback off and on through that uh, I'd heard that clergy who went to Asbury would have a hard time in in ordination process, but it just so happened that Bishop Hayes was actually a board member at Asbury <laughs> during that time so yes. i didn't I didn't yeah. have to hear or face any any of that yeah. in my ordination process and the churches that we were serving bore, bore fruit uh, you know the Went in church we we uh, we followed a pastor who had, had gone had helped them get to 20 uh, from 20 to 40 or something like that and we were hitting 65 70 uh, in our time there and so we were bearing fruit in ministry and mm. so it was evident that you know God was working in the midst of that um, so yep ordination went fine little hiccups with the interviews and things of that nature but uh, not anything I would pour gas on and light. And then you stayed in that two-point charge. Uh, we were there two and a half years in that two-point charge. Went to Cookson after oh, yes. that. Oh, Yeah, Cookson. Yep. And uh, Cookson was a, was a good uh, good fit for us. Uh, they had a, had a long-term pastor, been there about 13 years, I think, at that point. And uh, mission was right next door, Cookson Hills Mission. And for whatever reason, over time, the mission and the church had had conflict. And so, um, we went in and worked really hard to build a relationship. I mean, they shared a property line. You you stepped out of the right yeah. side door of the church and you stepped onto the Cooks on the Hills right, property, yeah. and so we really helped build a relationship there where they uh, they could engage and and uh, and and do ministry together. And so that was that was good. From from there to Jinx, we spent five years in Jinx, um, and uh, that was a great uh, great experience. I learned a lot about. Um, conflict. Most churches don't deal with conflict. And uh, so when you don't deal with conflict, at some point it comes out in other ways.
0: Oh, so when you say that you don't mean they don't have conflict, you mean they don't deal with
1: it? They don't deal with it. Okay. And they don't deal with it in healthy ways. Um, Sure. Conflict is actually a good thing. Can be. No, it is a good thing. It's like
0: saying getting the flu is a good thing. (laughs) uh, When it's all over, yes, my (laughs) immune system is stronger and I'm healthier, but man, it's a...
1: Well conflict conflict if handled correctly helps you grow sure yes and makes you stronger yes and so if a church can if a church can have a major conflict and go through that and on the other side still be family mm-hmm. then that's a healthy thing oh yeah and so um, the uh, we we had had a good time at Jinx church grew um, had some loss, um, children's minister, longtime children's minister left, took a bunch of families, uh, kind of dropped the bottom out again. Still, still uh, had attendance that we had before we got there, um, but that created conversation in the community, which you know, just just people talking. And so every church we've served has taught us something. Yeah, God has given us a new nugget for the toolbox for the next church and how to engage in that, you know, from financial issues from churches and how to, how to make a sound financial building building block and, and things of that nature. So anyhow, uh, and then now we're at Duncan. Uh, we've been at Duncan. We moved in the pandemic. Mm. Uh, we were happy at Jinx conservative church. We were conservative. So yeah. the fit was good. We were looking at protocol passing, general yeah. conference. You know, we were, we were kind of set up and geared. And then the phone call comes from the DS, district superintendent. And you kind of go, I'm happy <laughs> yeah. you want me to do what mm-hmm. um, but we've never uh, Piper and I've always said that when they call that's God calling sure and we yeah. have we have to go and yeah. so so we packed up and moved in the pandemic down to Duncan and, and took on a church that um, they've they had some decline and trying to figure out who they are and what that looks like mm-hmm. and, and we've had some good success there've we're starting to dig it, dig out from that hole and Now we're in the middle of all the denominational conversations, so that's created some conflict. So trying to help them maneuver that in a way that they can walk out the other side and still be family. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard.
0: Well, it's, I mean, that's essentially what our annual conference is trying to do. Uh, All the, all these clergy have been working together cooperatively on mission, at least for a long time. And how do we navigate the theological uh, differences where we have deep convictions, um, and still not be enemies when it's over um, a conservative leader uh, in our annual conference reposted a, an article earlier this week on facebook talking about how we should not be understanding ourselves to be on the side of right them on the side of wrong we're right. on the side of the angels right. uh that there has to be much more and i'm i'm I still continue to struggle with that. Earnestly, I think everybody struggles with that, and I know there are some people that that erect themselves as central leaders that are not harmed by this way of thinking, and then I see lots of evidence to the contrary. I think we're all struggling right now. We want to act as though we're all family, but um, it's hard to feel as though we're all family.
1: Yeah, and and something I tell uh, my church members when we're dealing with conflict, and and I, I try to encourage everybody to look at it from.